0: This life-changing message comes to you from Church of the Harvest. It's our prayer that this message will inspire your life and bring hope to your future. Thank you. Thank you so much. God bless you. Thank you, Pastor Rob, for that um, introduction. I will try to live up to that, that you have said more diligently, even this morning. I want to cut to the chase and get right to the the message, if you don't mind, just because of time, and I want to deliver a lot this morning, even though I will be here tonight and tomorrow, I want to kind of lay a foundation. I've entitled this series, Reset, and uh, I want to start with the obvious, this has been a weird year to say the least. And uh, when I went into this year, unlike many people, I did not have an expectation of, of great um, breakthroughs and, and um, many of the prophecies that were coming out were, were quite bold. I had prepared in about September of last year, uh, I felt that God was leading us to a, a, a battle and uh, my theme was war room (laughs) we needed to get to the war room to intercession and to pray for this nation and for the church I didn't have and I I love the the song that we're singing that we are um, winning the battle killing the giants I really believe that I believe that we are more than conquerors I believe that we are overcomers I I don't have a defeatist uh, theology, like Pastor uh, Bob was sharing in the offering. I believe that we are blessed with every spiritual blessing in Christ Jesus. We are not under, we're above, we're not behind, we're ahead. I believe whose we are and what we are, and in my theology, I believe that we are bigger on the inside than what we appear on the outside. That the church is glorious, magnificent, powerful, indestructible, invincible. We are what the Bible says we are. We have what the Bible says we have. We can do what the Word declares we can do. There is nothing impossible with God and there's nothing impossible with you if you believe. Well, I'm glad that encouraged you so much. I was quite overwhelmed there by your enthusiasm. But I, I felt like as we got into this year that this was a year of reset. Um, pastor, I'm a little intimidated because Pastor Rob is like the ultimate pastor geek. I am not. I'm, I'm 68 years old and uh, I never operated any device until I got to America 26 years ago. And even then, I started with mere plain solitaire for about the first five years, and then learned that the thing doesn't explode if you hit the wrong button. So um, I'm not in any ways a geek, but how many of you have a smart device? Uh, Don't worry, I'm not going to ask you to do anything weird right now, Um, but... these things have really come on in the in the last few years haven't they and i'm sure that they're going to advance even much more in the years to come and and they really i mean i run my whole ministry on this i travel the world and this is my office this is my document this is uh, between this and this this is my entire world i don't i run a paperless uh, virtual office when we went to virtual church i've been virtual for years um, took my ministry in that direction because I felt technology is our means to communicate the gospel to the to the nations. And for Bible education and training, I felt like to have a million students, a million world changes, it would be communicated through technology. So I have somewhat tried to be uh, okay with this, not as good as you getting there. Um, so, slightly intimidated, but I've learned a few things, that these things can be a blessing and a curse. Yeah. Um, they're a blessing when they work, but they're a curse when things go wrong. And especially if you've got everything in you, if you don't have a paper trail, you have to be able to extract it from here. If you lose it, you lose it. And so you have to get confident with this. Well, I've learned one thing, that every now and again, you have to do a soft reset. In fact, I power my phone down about every second day and and reboot it just to keep everything operating. And don't you hate it when you get the spinny wheel thing? Uh, It's so frustrating, and it's always a spinny wheel thing when you need it to work quickly. When you're sitting on the phone and you say, "Um, I'm going to pull it up right now, and then you get that dreaded wheel. It's never when you are not pressured to have to give an answer straight away. Am I right? Anyway, so you all know where I'm going here. But then every now and again, and this is what really is miserable, we have to do what is called a, a factory reset. I hate a factory reset. To do that, it takes about six hours for me. Because of all the passwords and everything, to pull every app, to get everything reset on all your devices is about six hours. So I hate it when I phone Apple and they say, sorry, there's only one thing that you've got to do. You've got to scrub the phone and you've got to take it back to factory reset. And I feel like this year is a year where God is taking us back to factory reset for the church and for our lives. And that's miserable. Because it's going to take some time to get there. It's not an overnight success story. Uh, It's going to take diligence and patience as you get everything realigned. But the beauty of it is once you do the reset, everything starts to operate the way it was designed, and uh, it becomes smooth. And easy to handle and manage. And, and I believe that this year, in spite of the challenges and the oppositions and the trials and the tragedies and the sufferings, in spite of that, this is our year to get back to God's design, the original intent that He had for the church I think we've lost what God had in mind for the church because of time, because of tradition, because of religion. Uh, Go with me in your Bibles, if you would please, to Galatians chapter 4 and verse 19. This church uh, of Galatia started in the spirit, they were powerful, they were anointed, they were walking in revelation, but. Tradition religion started to find its way back into the church, and as a result, they Paul actually writes and says, Who bewitched you or who cast a spell upon you? They were actually under a a spirit that had come to rob them of their destiny. And when you get to Galatians chapter 4 and verse 19, Paul writes something that is, I haven't fully grasped, I'm working at it. He says, "Um, my little children for whom I labor in birth, so they were already born again. But he's saying, I labor in birth until Christ is formed in you. It's almost like he was saying, you have to be born again, again. Even though you're born again, you have been so deceived. You have come under the spell that has robbed you of your identity, of your inheritance, of the purpose that God has. I have to take you back to factory reset. There's got to be a reset in your life. And I believe this is a time for us to have a reset in our lives and a reset in the purpose of the church. Also, go with me, if you would, please, to Acts chapter. 1, in Acts chapter 1, they were assembled together with Jesus, and He commanded them not to depart from Jerusalem because He wanted them to receive the promise. The promise was to be a Spirit-filled people. This was the design that God had for the church, that we wouldn't just be saved from sin, but we would be raised in power. Turn to the person next to you and say, we're not just saved from sin, but we're raised in power. But you shall receive power. Power. When the Holy Spirit has come upon you, you shall receive power when the Holy Spirit has come upon you, and you shall be my witnesses to me in Jerusalem, Judea, Samaria, and to the uttermost parts of the earth. We were raised and saved by God to be filled with the Spirit. And uh, today there are many that have a form of godliness, but deny the power thereof. They speak in other tongues, but they're not operating in the dimensions of God's power. And we need a reset to get back to the purpose of how the church was to be born and how we were to operate in the earth. Now, when Jesus had given them this promise to stay in Jerusalem, to speak about what had been promised to them, it says, now when he had spoken these things, they watched and he was taken up. And a cloud received him out of their sight. And while they looked steadfastly to heaven, towards heaven, as he went up, behold, two men stood by them in white apparel, who also said, men of Galilee, why do you stand gazing up into heaven? This same Jesus who was taken up from you into heaven will so come in this manner as you saw him go into heaven." So what happened is they're gazing into the heavens. Jesus has just been caught up. This ascension has taken place. And as, they, as he's going up, they stand gazing. What would you do if you were on that mountain and Jesus was going up? You'd stand there. You'd be awestruck. You'd be amazed. And then these two angels, these men who are clothed in white apparel, they say, why are you gazing into heaven? Why are you gazing into heaven? To me, it's the funniest scripture in the entire Bible. Like, what? Jesus has just gone to heaven. How many people have you seen go in a cloud to heaven? White men in uh, white clothing, men in white clothing. How many times have you seen Jesus go to heaven? This point that I want to make here is these men were gazing into heaven because of the awesomeness of this event, this glorious moment. But what's happened to the church is we've become spectators. They didn't want them to stand there spectating, they had something to do. And we have raised a generation of spectators who are waiting for Jesus to return. But they forgot that there is a purpose, that there is a calling. That there's a mandate upon our lives, and we've raised a generation of spectators, and very few are actually engaged in the purpose, and so we have to have a hard reset to get back to the original design. I know this may appear to be a little heavy, but like I said, I... I want to take us somewhere this morning and then build on it tonight. I believe that the the problem, sorry, I just want to click to another, there we go. Go with me to Acts chapter 11 and verse 26. I'm going to pull these three thoughts together, this reset, this ascension, the spectatorship, and the spirit-filled life. I'm going to bring it all together for you. In Acts chapter 11 and verse 26, it says, and the disciples were first called Christians in Antioch. Two key words there, disciples and Christians. Am I a Christian? A Christian was a disciple. A disciple was a Christian. Today, the phrase disciple is not Used often. We are Christians, but you know and I know that there is a Christian culture, not necessarily everyone that goes to church is born again. They are merely cultural Christians. Uh, In other words, they belong, they attend, their parents attended, their grandparents attended, and they attend, but they're not born again. It's not that they are violating uh, living immoral lives necessarily, but they haven't had a personal encounter with God where they are born again. They are merely just like you can be a cultural Hindu, not actually practicing Hinduism. You can be a cultural Muslim, not practicing it, and you can be a cultural Christian and not practice it. In the days when this scripture was written, there were no cultural Christians. You were either a disciple or you were not. There was no spectatorship. There was no just merely going to the church. You belonged because to go to the church, your life was at risk. You didn't go unless you were truly all in. So here the disciples were first called Christians, the the word disciple could be best described as a convinced learner, a persuaded student, someone who is totally devoted to their teacher, which is, in our case, Jesus. We are not making disciples after ourselves, but we make disciples after Jesus. John the Baptist made disciples, and there were many rabbis that had disciples. Paul, uh, the great apostle, was a disciple of Gamaliel. He sat at the feet of his mentor and teacher. And John the Baptist made disciples. He had followers as well. The difference between John and Jesus, John gave them a teaching. Jesus gave them a purpose for life itself. He gave them a redemption. He gave them an inheritance. He gave them a new identity. John just gave them a message of preparation. There's a big difference between the disciples of John and the disciples of Jesus. You remember when Paul uh, came into contact with some of John's disciples, he said, have you received the Holy Spirit since you believed? Because they had merely bought into a message, not into the Spirit-filled life, which was the original design that God had for the believer and for the church, and so they said, we haven't even heard of a Holy Spirit, and then he goes on and says, well, what baptism were you baptized into? And uh, they, they were baptized into John's baptism. In other words, they had become disciples of John. We, when we call on the name of the Lord to be saved, from that moment on, you become a disciple of Jesus. The ministry of Jesus began by making disciples. Follow me and I will make you. And his last words to the church were, go into all the world and make disciples. So the disciples were first called Christians. A disciple is a persuaded learner, uh, not just superficial. They're persuaded to the point where they will abandon all to follow their teacher or leader or mentor, which is Jesus. Paul, uh, near the end of his life, said that men would creep in and make disciples after themselves into the church. They would make disciples after themselves. Paul was making disciples after Jesus, not after Paul. And so, when I talk about discipleship, I'm talking about the biblical discipleship, making disciples of Jesus, followers of Jesus. They were called Christians. Christians was a, 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 a it was originally a derogatory term that was given to the disciples. They said, oh, you are Christians or the anointed ones, they were followers of the anointed one, and they were also anointed or spirit-filled, and they were operating in the supernatural power of God. And so, I want you to see that being spirit-filled is the normal Christian life. This is not for Pentecostal or charismatic Christians. The spirit-filled life is for all Christians. All disciples are to be Christian, Spirit-filled, anointed, God-possessed. And so, the, the disciples were first called Christians, and uh, there are two sides to, the, to our lives. The disciple speaks about your private life. It's where you are mentored, shaped, taught, and trained, It is the invisible part of your life. Though there may be people engaged in that process, leaders in the church, those who have reached you, trained you, developed you, awakening your gifts and ministries will be engaged. So it's not totally invisible. There are people engaged at this side of your life. The private side is the disciple life. The public is the visible side of your Christian walk, which is the spirit-filled life or the anointed life that is where your ministry, your skills, your abilities become visible. And and so, the authentic Christian life is the Spirit-filled life, which was the purpose of Jesus dying, not just to save us from hell to make heaven, but to have a people on earth that would represent Him, that would carry his word, and carry his mission, what Jesus began both to do and to teach, we are the continuum of what he began. We are the carriers of that anointing. And so, in this diagram, you can see that the disciples, which is your personal private side, uh, were called Christians, which is your public side. In the Great Commission in Matthew chapter 28, there are four verbs. The first is to go, the second is to make disciples, the third is to baptize, and the fourth is to teach. These four verbs operate together. They are all imperatives, but there is one imperative above all the imperatives, and that is to make disciples. So we go to make disciples, we baptize to make disciples, we teach To make disciples. The problem with the church today is we don't make disciples. We make attendees, we build an audience, we build a crowd, we build followers, we even have members. But to be honest, there's a huge difference between being a disciple and being a member. Many people attend, they are members, they belong, but it's more cultural than authentic New Testament Christianity. And so there's got to be this reset to bring us back to the original design that God has for the church. Jesus' last words were, make disciples. Go to make disciples. Baptize to make disciples. Teach to make disciples. In other words, we have to raise persuaded, committed, all-in followers of Jesus. This is our purpose. This is our mandate. That's why we exist in the earth today. And this reset is to bring us back to factory uh, factory settings. The imperative of the Great Commission is our mission. That's why we are on earth today. Uh, the, The problem that I have is we're not only not making disciples, we are not making disciple makers. And that is the problem. I was working with a pastor the other day and I was, I was sharing the importance of making disciples uh, as the imperative of Jesus. These aren't the words of Leon. These are red letter. This is J-E-S-U-S who said, Make disciples, the imperative. How many of you know your last words are pretty important? Especially when you've invested your very life itself, and now your departing words are go into all the world and make disciples. And uh, this is the commission that he's giving to his disciples. What I've done for you, you need to now go and do for others. I've made you a disciple, but I've also made you a disciple maker follow me and I will make you fishers of men who you will disciple. So he began his ministry by making disciples and he ended his earthly ministry by not only just dying and giving us promise of the spirit-filled life, but the spirit-filled life was with the purpose that we would be focused on his mission, which is to reach our world. You say, well, I know that. There's a difference between knowing it And doing it. And this is where it gets a little personal because I'm going to put the challenge to you ask yourself who have you reached with the gospel and who are you discipling right now? This is something you have to do some personal evaluation at this point, because if this is the mission of the church, if this is our priority, how much of a priority is it to you that it's actually being worked out in your life? This is why we have to have this reset, because we've got to get back to the original call of God, making disciples. And like that pastor said, I've never been discipled. How do you make something that you are not? You first have to be a disciple to be a disciple maker because if you don't know what a disciple is and how a disciple lives, how do you reproduce? So I have what I call the circle of discipleship. I take a believer, I make him a member. I get a believer to be a strong believer, and then I make him a member of the church because that's God's design. The Lord added to the church daily those who have been saved. Where I teach them revelation of church, why we belong to the church. Belonging to the church is not merely attending the meetings, but it's being engaged. It's being functional. It's being a part of the vision. It's your gift. It's your ministry being awakened and employed. It's you have been empowered with purpose in God. Then from being a, a member, I make them a minister or a servant, and we're called into the work of the ministry, not just into the ministry, but the work of the ministry. And people don't like the work part of the ministry. They like the ministry, but not the work of the ministry. And that's part of the problem. People don't want to assume responsibility. But everything about the Great Commission was receiving the commission of God and making it yours personally and being a part of God plan. And so ask yourself, am I making disciples? Well, am I reaching the lost and making disciples of the found? And so he, he says, um go into all the world, this is our purpose. You can't make what you are not. So you have to become a believer, you got to become a member, you got to become a minister. And then I want to take people to the next level, and that's where they become leaders. If you lead someone to Christ, you're a leader to them. If you lead them into the word, that makes you a leader to them. If you lead them in water baptism and the baptism in the spirit, that means you're a leader to them. But then I want to perfect that in skills, and I want to make them what what I call a reproducer or a disciple maker. This is when I raise a generation of world changers. Unless I have that cycle, I can't just make believers are going to make strong believers. I can't just make members of the church people that have a form of godliness and merely attend. Christ must be formed in them. They've got to come to the place of where they're shaped and molded by the Spirit of God, by the Word of God, by the, leader, uh, the leaders in their lives to become what God wants them to be members. And then I want to get them to become ministers where they start to operate in their gifts, in their anointing, in their ministry, and hone their skills in those things. And then I want to make them a leader, that they become contagious, carrying the magnetic attraction of the anointing, of their faith, of their vision, and and raise them to that. And then I'll take them into what I call the reproducing spirit where that's where you get exponential growth in the church. The early church started with 120 in the upper room, but the impact of the anointing was so strong in their lives that the growth was exponential. And 120 had to assume the responsibility of 3,000 new converts. So the 120 all became instant disciple makers. But then the disciples that they were making... Became disciple makers and the church exploded around them because of the anointing and because of the breakthrough and because of the miracles that were taking place. I believe that this generation is going to have a great awakening. I believe that our generation is going to see a tremendous move of God. But to have a tremendous move of God, just to have great meetings, is not the purpose. We have to have a great church, people that are God-possessed, filling, not only filling the building, but um, fulfilling the purposes of God, fulfilling the purposes of God, which is to reach the lost, to disciple the found, and to build the church, Now, I want to share with you the qualities and the characteristics found in disciples. These are critical. Number one, a disciple must be willing to abandon all. Have a look at Matthew chapter 4 and verse 18. And Jesus walking by the Sea of Galilee saw two brothers, Simon called Peter and Andrew his brother, casting a net into the sea and they were fishermen. Then he said to them, follow me and I will make you fishers of men. They immediately left their nets and followed him. Going on from there, he saw two other brothers, James a son of Zebedee and John the, his brother in the boat with Zebedee their father, mending their nets and he called them And immediately they left the boat and their father, and they followed him. Notice that they were willing to abandon all. This is the problem. We don't want to abandon our past. We don't want to abandon our hurts. We don't want to abandon our disappointments. We want to hold on to these things. And so we have to come to a place where we will will release these things and uh, uh, our wealth, our treasure, everything. Everything they had to abandon. And that's part of the problem is we don't want to abandon stuff. We want to hold on to what we've got. Uh, A disciple of Jesus abandons everything. You have to be willing to let go of what you have. and, And these followers of Jesus, they were so persuaded. You know, when Jesus walked past them and said, follow me, Uh, and they left their nets, it wasn't like he was a stranger. They had already spent time with him. He had shared the vision, the purpose, the call. And so when he said, follow me, they were so persuaded by who he was and what he projected. And so for us as followers of Jesus, we have to start at that point when we abandon everything. In Luke chapter 5, It says in verse 11, So when they had brought their boats to the land, they forsook all and followed Him. And in Matthew chapter 9 and verse 9, And Jesus passed on from there. He saw a man named Matthew sitting at the tax office, and He said to him, Follow me. So he arose, and he followed him. The disciples of Jesus abandoned their careers, their life, their everything. Now, I'm not in this way suggesting that you leave your jobs and we all go live in a monastery, but your job has to become second to following Jesus. Your marriage has to become second to following Jesus. Your children have to become second to following Jesus. He has to become your supreme love. He has to have the number one place in your life where everything else is willing to be abandoned. I've shared this once before here But when God gave me my first house, I stood outside that night, and I said, God, thank you for this blessing. You can have it back whenever you want it, because things don't satisfy you. Your jobs, your hobbies, your careers, things cannot satisfy you. Only He can satisfy you. And so when He becomes your supreme love, everything else dissipates in comparison to Him. There comes a point in Luke chapter 18 and verses 28 to 30 that Peter turns around to Jesus and he says, see, we have left all and followed you. We have left all and followed you. You have to ask yourself as a true disciple, if we really want to reset, like I said, this is a, a factory reset, have you left everything to receive Jesus, or do you want to hold on to some areas of your life, some practices in your life, some issues in your life? Are you really willing to let everything go? To become a disciple of Jesus, you've got to let those things go. You've got to abandon them and make Him your everything. The second quality found in a disciple is in Luke chapter 14. A disciple must count the cost. Jesus turned to them. He says, um, if you're going to build a tower, uh, I won't have time to read it all. You've got you to make sure that you can finish the building. If you're going to go to war, you've got to make sure that you can win the fight. And so he's, he uses these two analogies to describe this um, counting the cost. This is part of the problem. We don't give people when we preach the gospel today, the cost. We say, raise your hand, pray this prayer, you'll be saved, and you'll have a new life with Jesus. But we don't have the imperative, the great commission in our gospel message anymore. So people actually buy into what we say. They raise their hand, they pray the prayer. But we raise a generation that don't count the cost, what it really means to follow Jesus. And so when they become ridiculed, mocked, Hated if you go into some nations in the world when you say receive Jesus as Savior and Lord, for example, in the Muslim nations, their lives are at risk. In um, Mozambique, where Paul, uh, where where Phil, and Sharon have launched a church, and we have many, many uh, followers there, many of them have had to flee their families and their homes because they would be killed. Because of receiving Jesus, the same in that era when they, it's easy in America, like Pastor Bob said in the opening, aren't you glad that we can worship God in America? There are places when you receive Jesus that you have to count the cost. The problem is because we live in a country that is freedom of religion, we don't count the cost. Can we really see through what we are saying? We, people today receive Jesus to avoid hell and make heaven. In other words, they want a savior, but they don't want a lord. Because we're a democracy and a republic, we don't understand lordship. We don't understand having a king whose word is the word. We, the people in America, have the last say, and we try to employ our culture into biblical culture, and it doesn't work. There's a conflict of culture, and so people have to understand there is a price to pay to be a true follower of Jesus. You'll think about that at nine o'clock in the morning when you have to get out of bed to go to church. Or at five o'clock in the morning when you want to pray and have a devotional time before heading out to work, this is where you really count the cost. Or are you going to be superficial, shallow, and indifferent and part of the culture of Christianity, or do you really want to be a world changer? Is this too heavy for you? Sorry, but this is the words of Jesus. Jesus said, so likewise, who does not forsake all cannot be my disciple. Cannot. Cannot is emphatic. And he says, he who does not love, uh, hate his father and mother, wife and children, brothers and sisters, yes, his own life, cannot be my disciple. And whoever does not bear his cross and come after me cannot be my disciple. These, these words are critical to understand. Cannot is Cannot. So, you have to count the cost. Am I willing to have him as my supreme love? Am I willing to bear my cross? Am I willing to abandon everything to make him the Lord of my life? There's my smart device telling me it's time to come in for a landing. We want to build to finish, we want to fight to win. We don't want to fight to lose. We don't want to start what we can't finish. And so we understand that making disciples and being made a disciple is the imperative. This is the words of Jesus, red letter edition. These aren't the words of Leon. This reset, sorry, uh, it's coming in a, in a miserable time of our lives, but what a great opportunity to get things Right? Because obviously, it's not working at its full potential. If it was working at its full potential, we would have reached our world. We'd be flowing in supernatural signs, wonders, and power. Something's got to change to bring us to the original design that God had in mind for the church. And it starts in that word, disciple or Christian. We have to get back to the, the design that God has for us. I want to close um, with these thoughts. The love that you have for God has to be greater than any other love. When Jesus said you've got to hate your mother and father, your, your, your family, he, he wasn't promoting a doctrine of, lo- uh, of hate. God is a God of love. But he was saying every love has to be lower than your love for God. Is the love of God the supreme love of your life? Because at the end of the day, what I'm sharing with you is actually all born out of love. If you don't love God that way, you'll never have this willingness to deny yourself, this willingness to, to forsake all other loves and have the supreme love to forsake any wealth or treasure or possession or reputation, to put everything on the line. It will always be there dominating your life. Unless you have a love that is greater than the love of self and the love of others, Jesus must be the supreme love of your life. I've learned that you'll never be committed, loyal, faithful, generous without being in love. When you're in love, those things are the natural outflow, but if you're not in love, then those things, uh, you, you, it's like a, a start and a stop, a start and a stop. You're hot today, cold tomorrow, but when you're in love, you're in love. It's there. It dominates. It's constant. It's always there, and so this is what's needed. It's a shift of love. Um, in closing, Disciples bear much fruit. Jesus said, uh, By this my Father is glorified, that you bear much fruit, so you will be my disciples. Disciples are fruit bearing. You've got to ask yourself and analyze your life what is the fruit of my followership of Jesus? You say, Well, I go to church. Is that fruit or is that just a behavioral habit? Something that you just do out of tradition? Uh, well, I bring my tithes and my offerings, is that really a fruit? We've got the fruit of the Spirit. Some people would say, well, i got the fruit of the Spirit. Yep, that does count. But the fruit that Jesus is speaking here is fruitful living, producing, Are you producing? Is your gift producing? Are your prayers producing? Is your ministry producing? Is the anointing in your life producing? Are you reaching souls? That's the great commission. Are you making disciples? Who have you reached and who are you discipling right now? That's the fruit that he's talking about there. And he says, by this my Father is glorified. We can sing and glorify God. That's a whole lot easier than actually producing but this is what glorifies the Father, is the fruitfulness of our lives as disciples, as followers of Jesus. we living in times when we have to get back to the blueprint, a reset. The blueprint was the words of Jesus, go and make disciples. This has to become the mission of our lives, the mission of the church. Every church has a a, a vision statement or mission statement, and this church does. And the, what is your mission statement? You shared it last night with me, uh, making disciples and... Oh, commu- uh, building community, making disciples, reaching out to others. Say it loud if you don't mind. Uh, building community, making disciples, reaching out to You see, that, is, that encapsulates what? The Great Commission. And, and I say that because this church is called the Church of the Harvest, You are the harvest, but you are also harvesters. This is the reason for this existence. There are many churches, but this church has a focus and a mission to make disciples and to reach the harvest. This is why we exist. We could do it a whole lot differently and grow a whole lot faster. But we are doing it the biblical way. We're going for the way of the red letter edition, the words of Jesus. They are, you can build a crowd, you can grow an audience, or you can build the church. We have chosen to build the church. And my appeal to you is to become part of the vision, to become part of the dream, not to be a cultural Christian or spectator, standing, gazing, waiting for the return of Jesus, but to really become a participant in what God is doing. And isn't that where you started this morning? You said at home, you can be a spectator, or you can become a participator in what we are doing today. And I want to end with the words of your pastor, and that is, you can be a spectator, You can always attend. We'll never lock you out the doors. We'll never close the doors in your face. You'll always be welcome. We'll always pray for you. We'll always treat you with respect, with dignity, because that's who we are. But our focus is not on just growing a a crowd. That's not our focus. Our focus is to grow you. Our focus is to grow you, that you would be so full of God that your life would be contagious with Jesus, and that you would become a part of his commission, that you would reach the lost, that you would disciple the found and help us build the church. Would you please stand with me and prepare your hearts to pray? reset I hate it when Apple says to me sorry we've tried everything it's just not working we've got to do a hard reset 2020 is a year of challenge, of trial of suffering, certainly but it's also a year of great opportunity because we're starting again we're starting again we're starting with God's plan as our plan. We don't have a plan other than God's plan. I don't have a will other than God's will. My will has intersected with God's will. I live the crucified life. My will, as we pray, let your will be done on earth in me and for me as it is in heaven. What's God's will? God's will is that we reach the lost that we disciple the found, and that we build the church. This is why we exist. We exist to worship God. We exist to know God. But what is our mission? The words of Jesus, go into all the world, make disciples, the imperative. We go to make, we teach to make, we baptize to make. And that means this is our focus. Thank you for attending. Thank you for being a part of this meeting. Thank you for watching at home. But there's a difference between attending and watching and being a part of the plan. Today, I want to invite you to be part of the plan. If you've slipped into that place of just being a cultural Christian, an attendee, an observer, a spectator, it's time to reanalyze, to get back to the original, the reset, the hard reset. This is an opportunity for you to get things right with God. If you say, Leon, that challenged me, that's caused me to take stock of my life. Um, I need to do a hard reset in my life to get back to the intentions and the plan of God. Would you raise your hand where you're standing right now and say, that's me. All over this place, hands are going up. And watching at home, I know I can't see you, you can see me. Raise your hand to God because God will see it. Say, Leon, that's me, include me. I want to get a, a, a reset. I know it's miserable. I know it's going to take some time, but I've got to get to God's design. Then I want you to pray this prayer with me at home or in this place. Those that raise your hand, raise both hands towards heaven with me right now. All over this place. And those who are standing around with hearts that are beating, you're right with God. You're part of the plan. Raise your hands as well without wrath, without doubting, and say, God, we want to join your plan. We want to be a part of your plan. Here I am. Do a reset in me. Restore what has been lost in the culture, in the tradition, in the religion. Let Christ be formed in me again. Shape me, mold me, make me according to your design. That your priorities are my priorities. That your will is my will. That your ways are my ways. That your word is my word. Here I am, Lord. I give you my heart. I give you my soul. I give you my all. I forsake everything. You are my treasure. You are my first love. You are my highest love. You are my everything. I am yours and you are mine. Thank you for new beginnings. Thank you for a smooth operating system. Thank you for a reset in my life, in my priorities. You are first. You don't get the dregs. You don't get the leftovers. You get the best. You get all of me, not some of me. You get all of me. Here I am, Lord. All of me belongs to you. Hallelujah. Hallelujah. Holy Spirit, come and seal this in their hearts. Come and seal this in their lives, oh God. Come and seal this word that it not just be a message, but it become a revelation in the depths of their being. Your last words on planet Earth your commission, to your church. Let it become engraved in these, not tablets of stone, but hearts. The priority of heaven to become our priority. Oh God, write it in our hearts today. Let it scream in the ears of our spirit men. Oh God, cause it to reverberate inside of us. This is why I exist. This is why I was saved. This is why I received the baptism in the Spirit. Uh, Thank you, God, that you have called me. Thank you, God, that you have chosen me to be a part of your plan. My destiny is your will. My destiny is your plan. This is why I live. This is why I breathe. And so I'm realigning my life to your will, to your plan. Thank you for a renewal. Thank you for a reset in our lives today. In Jesus' name, amen. If you'd like to get more information about resources from Church of the Harvest, please check out our website at midsouthharvest.org. You may also contact us by phone at 662 890 1573 or toll free at 866 383 8277.